everyone to Flyover Footy. You might be listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We got a big show today. Uh, not terribly positive, but hopeful. Let's say that's what the show is today. Um, it's a, a big weekend. We've got a big rivalry in our uh, stream right now. You can see lots of rivalry names that we've thrown all of them up there in a bit of a, a word vomit situation. So I hope you enjoy that if you're with us on the stream. I've got my friends here with me today, Matt Baker, Santiago Beltran. How is everybody doing, Matt? You start, why don't you? Fantastic. I mean, I'm about as positive as a person can be coming off of back-to-back -back losses against another regional rival. I think everything this week off the field has been just as as well as it could have gone from the Inside City event to all the super fun stuff that the club has put out about this rivalry. You know, this this is the kind of thing that you really hope for when you first see the schedule drop and you first get a, get a team and you're, you're understanding everything that goes into that. You're hoping that it gets built up to the level that uh, it's deserving of. And I think we're in the midst of that. So that in and of itself is just super exciting. I'm just so glad you're finding some positives here, Matt. <laughs> and I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing in any way. Um, but um, yeah, actually, before we go to the game, Santiago, how are you today, man? What's what's new with you? Doing great. Doing great. Um, nothing new. Um, just a regular week waiting for Saturday's game. Uh, it's also one of those games that when the schedule came out, uh, I was like, oh, this is the weekend. <laughs> and um, at that time, I didn't know if I was going to be doing the broadcast. And I remember one of my good friends uh, invited me to a trip. I was like, nope. It is the Clásico, so I'm not missing that regardless of what I'm doing. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we're all going to get up for this one, even though what, right uh, the rivalry weekend was officially last weekend, wasn't it? It's it's both oh, weekends. Okay, yeah, gotcha. From, from the 13th to uh, the 20th, although it's kind of weird uh, because like yesterday, um, there was only one game that was a, yeah. a part of rivalry week. Um but yeah, they split it between both, uh, or I guess if you include Wednesday, three match days, or four if you include Sunday. And not every team gets rival. So some teams, just like you said last night, they play games regular, so they're mm -hmm. not necessarily every game's rivalry. We just happen to be one of those teams that from the get-go have those regional rivals where it, it makes it worthwhile to tout it. It helps that our history uh, makes it so. There was nothing having to be fabricated for the expansion club, and so that's kind of cool. That uh, you know, the history of our Open Cup, and history of just playing Kansas City in, in different ways, and and those games getting pretty crazy. Uh, so you know, I think we're one of the few expansion teams where that was a bit natural rather than created. So that's cool. Um, what's not cool uh, that we did lose on our rival uh, weekend against the Chicago Fire. Matt, as always, let's let's lead off with the lineup and talk about the game. Yeah, it wasn't cool. Um, the lineup started off on a bad note, knowing that Tim Parker was suspended. So we ran out a 4-2-3-1 against the Chicago Fire in leg two last week. Ran out with Roman Berkey and Nett, Johnny Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Lucas Bartlett in place of Tim Parker, and Jake Nerwinski on our back line. Miguel Perez, Edward Leuven doing central midfield duties, Celio Pompeu wide left, Indiana Vasilev attacking mid, and Tomas Ostrak wide right, and then Nico Joachini up top. This was Indiana Vasilev's first start in the attack, 
He had alluded to being willing and able to play every position. We know that he had a lot of experience in the attack from his days with Inter Miami, with Aston Villa. So he's comfortable there. He came to St. Louis expecting to play more there. This was his first real opportunity to get a good run of form, a run of play position. I think most out of it, honestly, because when Bradley Carnell uh, spoke today or spoke Thursday in the press conference about a lot of the attacking opportunities, Indiana Vasilev's name kept coming up over and over. It was Indy and Salio who had a lot of the moments that really could have changed the game. Carnell mentioned specifically three moments that he thought could have been game changers. It was Salio to Indy. It was Salio by himself. It was Salio catching, uh, almost catching Indy. I mean, there was these two guys were some of the difference makers, but that's kind of where it ends for the starting lineup. It's they, they could have been difference makers. Santiago, you kind of latched on to the Indiana Vasilev playing the 10 in Flyover Fallout, which came out on a Monday this week, and I think will be coming out on Mondays going forward. Something to listen for. But Santiago... Committing us to it, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's easy for me to say, isn't it? But uh, Santiago, what did you think about Indy in that role or anything else you'd like to talk about with the, with the formation? Yeah, so... Uh, and, and I'm going to probably just... Uh, I was when I when we started talking about Indiana Basilev and even on, on our DMs um, after the game, I was a little disappointed. But I think it was more because I was just thinking about that play in the second half where he missed uh, Celio on that set piece. But just after watching the game again and thinking about it, he he did well. He did well, and 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 he he brought something good to the team. And um, he connected with Celio, and and he was connecting with Joachini too. So I think it's great that he has that versatility, and he could play as a ten too. And um, with Jabula Blom being back, uh, we'll probably see some shuffling around uh, to keep uh, Indy playing, uh, to also keep Miguel Perez playing. So maybe he will get more opportunities playing as a ten. Yeah, I'd like to see him get more than that chance. Um, I, I think we've seen Leuven play the 10 a lot, and I think he's just more comfortable, and I think he's just naturally better a little further back in the field. And so I liked that they tried Indy there, and I thought his best moments came early in the game. I don't know if perhaps they were the Chicago was caught off guard and it just really worked well, uh, but I really liked a few of the things he did. He was able to go in on the left and cross in with his left foot and uh, a couple times early in. I really liked that, um, and so um, he's a... He's a quality attacker. I think he's just a little bit better up high um, than Leuven, in my opinion. But um, I'm not going to say that's an all the, all the time kind of thing. Um, well, I, I think he offers he offers a lot of creativity that can complement what Leuven can offer more of in the midfield. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think Vas- and Vasilev, Indy, Indy's played a tremendous role at central midfield this year, almost out of necessity, like we said, because Jabulu Blom's absence. And so without him in uh, missing action from either getting up to speed at the beginning of the season or injuries it's been a requirement to slot in a Miguel Perez or an Indiana Vasilev to get more time in the central midfield both of them have their drawbacks Miggy from the fact that he's learning he's getting up to speed for MLS and he's growing Indy from a positional change but I think when you're when you're talking about everybody at their best in where they can help the team the most all things considered all health being equal I think Indy belongs a little higher up the field and the 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 way that he performed against Chicago kind of makes me think that 
that's the kind of informed player that Carnell wants to see continue on the field, where the fact that he mentioned if these moments had gone slightly differently, he, he was he was very positive about Salio and Indy's performance. Hmm. And when you're when you're hearing him also say things like they want the best player, the most informed player to be on the field, I can't help but think that Indy is playing himself into that role where we we thought before the season started that it was so congested in that attacking midfield, so congested in the even the striker position when you have one striker out there. But at this point, with our attack being so anemic the past few games, without Klaus, even with Klaus, it it you need that new new blood, so to speak, in the attacking midfield. And Blom's return, uh, Miggy Perez being in form, Edward Leuven doing his his thing, that all facilitates Indy moving up as opposed to being the odd man out. Because I don't think Indy is a player that at this point in time you can take off the field and think you're fielding your best eleven. Yeah, I love that you said the first thing you said, which was they complement each other, Indy and Leuven. I think that's a much better way to say it than what I said, and I agree with everything you said there. Um, another thing is that Berkey had a great night in goal, and I just, you know, Santiago, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that or anything else you'd like to talk about, but um, especially that, I, every time Berkey's needed, he's stepped up, and people have been worried about shot stopping early in the season before we saw him in MLS, and it, it hasn't been a problem at all, has it? Not at all. He has been great. Um, Chicago had two really good chances the first five minutes. And who was there to stop them? Roman Berkey. So that's great to see. And he's he's showing that he's really uh, one of the best goalkeepers in MLS. He uh, made the bench on the team of the week. And he continues performing really well. Um, the goal, um, nothing really to do with him. And uh, he was there when he was needed. So he continues showing solid performances. And he's a great asset to the team. And for those that thought that maybe St. Louis was overpaying for a goalie, I think he's showing his worth all that money. Yeah, and um, he was filling his role as a captain, critical of the team. A lot of um, some good quotes from him, and that's the kind of thing that I think St. Louisans appreciate. Uh, But let's talk about Nelson, Matt. I want to definitely throw to you here. I know you hit it hard on a flavor fallout, but you were you were big on this, and I agree with with everything you've said. It almost felt like to me the only thing I want to say about it is that the Chicago Fire almost looked like they game planned around Nelson, as if they saw that the back post ends up being open from time to time it's one thing that i think nerwinski as a fullback is extremely good at is making sure that back post is covered that's a hard thing for fullbacks to do and in this game chicago fire either took advantage of it or nelson just had a really terrible night i think it's both honestly and the fact that johnny nelson's not going to be playing against sporting kansas city is the end point of that and the goal itself uh, kind of came in the middle of some some bad individual moments. And this isn't to say he played all uh, every every minute of the game poorly. It's to say that he had some poor individual key moments. Uh, both of his cards, I believe, were unnecessary. We, we talked in depth about both of them. The fact that he came kind of out of control wild on the first where it was a, a an attempted pass to him that was long on the left. And he just went in with his head low, didn't attempt to really go up for the ball. And the fact that his head came down into into the defender's shoulder highlighted that. He, he might have been out of control and couldn't stop himself. It was a bang-bang play. But at the same time, the fact that he kind of winced instead of going straight up for the ball kind of showed that he was beat 
beaten on that. So that was a poor yellow in my opinion, even though it was bang bang. I'm and with then in you the middle, on that too. I know like <laughs> extra time was very against you, and I think they got yeah. Kai Kamara to like, you know, add some thoughts on Twitter. So I think they were seeing stars a little bit. But man, I'm yeah. with you, Matt. The Lucas Bartlett thing's a whole other story where the, I, I I definitely disagree with the extra time guys on that where oh, yeah, sorry like, I'm mixing up the the situations yeah. I'm sorry but oh, okay. no that, that that's okay but I disagree very much and I I told Weeby on Twitter that you know, he's wrong <laughs> but but uh, with Johnny Nelson on the on the goal as the last man in the line of Shakiri's shot it you could you could look at it two ways you could look at it like Berkey said first where they all thought that Shakiri was going for goal because he's done that before he's adept at going for goal in that scenario uh, positionally with that the length of, of the field that was left they expected that and so I don't want to say that Nelson was banking on that exclusively, but that had to play into it. And so when Nelson is the last man from City on the line to the back post, but not the last man total, I was talking to Jen Cease at, at training on Thursday saying that we clearly weren't man marking. It was obvious that Nelson, it, it's not that he, I don't think was wasn't aware of the player behind him the Shihas, but it was the fact that he didn't feel a responsibility for that person. And he was moving up in the line a little bit to, to mark his area. And so the, the combination of those two things where your first assumption is Shakiri's going to go for goal. Your second assumption is that you, you are zonal marking. You leave Shihas wide open behind that. And with his first move being forward, he didn't have time to track back and, and play a, a good enough defense to put himself in between Shihas and the goal, and it just slid past Berkey. So that I, I also have some blame for Nelson on that one. The red card was borderline unfathomable. That was just a really, really bad foul for for two reasons. It was a really bad foul because it was. It was studs up in the open play with really nobody, no reason to when you're on a yellow already. But also. It's not like you were in a position where you were the last man back or even you were in midfield or your defensive third. This was coming off of a, a rebound in your attacking zone. The ball was just exited from your attacking 18-yard box. And you go in studs up, running towards the 18-yard box while you're on a yellow? I mean, it, it's just un unfortunate to say the least I, I don't have quite the words to describe the feelings because all of us were stunned when we saw that it was it was highly unusual from Johnny Nelson because we've seen him be very tactical in his in his physicality very tactical in his positioning so it was very unlike him to really go for that yeah and I, I'm with you Matt on the on the the goal the, the either it's either something was wrong with the coaching for defending that set piece or it's really, really hard. Usually I have an excuse for the player. Like maybe he was thinking this, maybe this happened in that one. It's hard for me. Santiago, I don't know what you thought about that goal, especially. Yeah, no, just thinking about what Matt was saying about zonal marking that maybe he didn't think that was his responsibility, but so who is responsible for the guys who are like behind? Basically, Nelson was like the last man on that yeah. side so who's responsible yeah. for the guys in the back um but yeah a lot of things going into it maybe he thought that uh, it was uh, gonna be a shot on goal instead of a set piece and again i always talk about fractions of a second yeah 
to make a decision like yeah when when we look at it after the game it's really easy to to think about it and push different scenarios but uh but yeah it is it is what it is and, and it was just uh that she didn't defend that set piece well yeah game speed being tired with nelson's red card i can't help but think that perhaps that had something to do with it uh, because it was otherwise kind of just crazy and and you think about zonal marking i see one complaint on twitter consistently and it's how much everybody hates zonal marking so (laughs) interesting one to watch throughout the season Uh, but we should move on you're listening to flyover footy and you could be listening to us on the big 550 ktrs thank you for joining us uh we need to move on to give you some information about about the upcoming game against Sporting Kansas City. Matt's got all kinds of information for us prepared. I'll let you start, Matt, and choose what you'd like to start with. Yeah, let's catch the uh, news from the week. Player updates going into Sporting Kansas City from the St. Louis side. So we know that Rasmus Alm, Johnny Nelson, and Joachim Nilsson are out for the Sporting Kansas City game. Rasmus Alm has an abdominal issue that he's still not recovered from. Johnny Nelson, like we said and spent time talking about, was suspended for this match due to his red card. And Joachim, uh, Joachim Nilsson is still recovering from his knee surgery. He was on a bike this week that we saw, so Nilsson... Uh, was was on a bike this week. Rasmus Alm was running, jogging. So both of them are hopefully on their road to recovery. You know, we're, we're nearing that Joachim Nilsson end of May reevaluation time period. So there's a lot of consternation from City fans talking about what's the update on Nilsson? When are we going to start seeing, seeing him participate in team activities? So it, it seems good that he's doing what he's doing now. We know he's running on full weight, so a lot of positivity. But the big question going into SKC is Joao Klaus. Joao mm-hmm. Klaus was not present during the Inside City event with the other players that were training. He was in street clothes signing autographs still. But on Thursday's training, he was back. He was back with the team, fully participating in their soccer tennis, fully participating in the calisthenics and the running drills. There was no scrimmages or anything like that, so I don't want to oversell this too hard. But he was fully participating. He was he was laughing. It wasn't like a, any wincing or any any issues that were present in what we saw. Bradley Carnell talked about how Nielsen, Nelson, and Alm were out. He didn't initially mention Klaus in the press conference, but then he did list Klaus as questionable, hmm. talking about how there's one more test for him to pass on Friday. So if you're listening to this on Friday, hopefully there's news very very shortly on Klaus's availability. Maybe we'll catch um, some screenshots of of him, you know, coming out of training or some picks from from the club, but. Come Saturday, if you're listening to this on Saturday, we should have a more clear picture. And I think it would be too much to say we expect him to start under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that he's listed as he would be listed as questionable is because he still would be working his way back as far as fitness goes, even if the quad is 100%. So you figure going into that, Klaus would optimistically be available for 15 to 20 minutes as a start. We know that Bradley Carnell has that. That ramp up, uh, just like guys like Gio Savarisi does, where players get a few minutes and they build up their stamina. And that's also present with Jabulu Blom. So Blom was not listed on any kind of injury report, but he's he's further along in his recovery. We would expect him, having gone 45 against Chicago, to be at at least a 60-minute-ish time frame. So starting is not out of the question for Jabulu Blom, but we don't know if he's yet worked his way up to a full 90. Yeah, it's. I find it interesting. I guess is um, is Tom Timmerman usually there on Fridays, or is there no press on Fridays? 
It's a closed training that's what I thought. tomorrow. So that's what I was getting at. Is yeah. It was a little funny to see Klaus yeah. there and all this press about Klaus, uh, full participant in practice. You know, it almost seems like gamesmanship to me. But I don't know what you and, were there, Santiago. So I didn't know what you, what you thought about it. Well, but that's the thing. He, he was participating in the, in the, at the beginning of the training. Then when we, when we were escorted out to the press room, uh, that's when the team does uh, more tactical training and things like that. I don't know if he participated in in that portion of the training, but the fact that he was there this morning is is a good sign. Uh, we had not seen that in weeks, in two two and a half weeks, so that's good to see. And um, but yeah, if if the team feels confident he he's ready, it'll be great to see him the last 15, 20 minutes of this game against Sporting KC. Maybe he could be that closer and and score the goal the game winning goal you know i would take it sorry i cut you off there matt is there something else you want to say about that nope i think that about wraps it up if you want to we can pivot over to big picture here uh but before we do that just a quick plug if you're listening to us on the big 550 ktrs check out our full podcast where after our pre-game show for st louis city we're going to be doing a deep dive into the mls players association salary guide as well as recapping a little bit of the inside city event and there's some good news from our academy that we'll touch on as well in addition to briefly probably talking about the newest mls expansion team san diego so check that out and a quick plug too if you're listening to this on any of the pods or on the big 550 ktrs check out apple Podcasts or spotify leave us a review let us know how we're doing drop us a rating if you get a chance we really appreciate it and it helps us out to no end it does indeed. Uh, Matt, you got a bunch of stats prepared for us. There's a lot of good information we can have to preview Sporting Kansas City. Could you get us started on that, please? Yeah, so big picture. St. Louis sits fourth place in the West. We have 19 points. We are even on games with LAFC, who's in second place. We have games in hand on Seattle and FC Dallas in first and third, respectively. Our record sits at 6-4-1, six, six wins, four losses, one draw. We are th- three and two at home having won three lost two we still have a 22 goal scored and a plus nine goal differential record so we're still very much on the positive side as far as that goes even with our recent run of form sporting kansas city on the other side they sit 13th in the west with 10 points they have a two seven and four record with seven losses they're one four and three away with nine total goals scored this year and a minus eight goal differential Now, that all sounds like it should be pretty one-sided, but we know that St. Louis and Kansas City at this point are in kind of mirror directions. They're they're going opposite directions as far as their form lately. St. Louis's form we're all familiar with. Our last three MLS matches include a 1-0 loss at Chicago, the abandoned FC Dallas match, a 2-1 loss at home against Portland, and then that 1-1 draw at Colorado. Meanwhile, Sporting Kansas City's form, their last three MLS matches, they're 2-0-1. They had a midweek match against LAFC where they drew 1-1. They had a 3-0 win against Minnesota at home, and then they had a 2-1 win at Seattle before that. That was kind of their coming out party where you know they, they had this transition from getting some of their DPs and their injury plague players back. They were able to use their lineup and really get Peter Vermees off the hot seat for a little bit. <laughs> So there's some there's some opposite directions going. But I think what I would like to talk about, Phil, real quick with you is our impact with and without Klaus and some of the players that we've been missing. Yeah. And and especially it's so crazy. Yes, they got players back, which maybe that gives us some hope. But to beat 
three of the toughest teams in the league. You know, we saw how difficult ML, uh, Minnesota is to play. I mean, to have them well, do that is impressive. Two, two of the four teams that we've lost to right. they have Good beaten point. in the past couple of weeks. That's That cannot go overlooked in this whole run of form that they're in. Yeah, absolutely. And they beat Seattle at Seattle. We lost mm-hmm. to Seattle mm-hmm. at Seattle. And they beat Minnesota at KC. CDSC lost to uh, Minnesota at home. At home. So, yep. Yeah, Matt, and I know, you... and I know you can go like result by result, but uh, it's just interesting. It's yeah. an odd juxtaposition, that is for sure. <laughs> and I don't think we can go on without having uh, mentioned that. I completely, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, but Matt, I'd like you to kind of do your little thing here before I lead into mine. I think it's a, it's a good transition to do it that way, if you don't mind. Yeah, so with and without Klaus is one way you can read this season. We know, and I've talked about how our run of form had started to derail uh, right before Klaus's injury when we had those matchups against Minnesota and Seattle like we talked about. But it's it's important to know, um, and, and I think one of the other important things framing this, this stat is a conversation that I saw from one of the writers of The Athletic this week who did a Twitter thread that we, we retweeted from the Flyover account that was all about how you can break a low block. And one of the biggest ways that you can break a low block is with high individual talent, <laughs> right? Your teams struggle against that. It, it's what happens. It's, it's why teams go into a low block after they go up a goal or two. So it, it's difficult under any circumstance, let alone uh, when you're missing some of your individual players. So with that said, St. Louis City is 6-2-1 with Klaus, having scored 21 goals at a 2.33 goal per game rate. Without Klaus, we're 0-2. We have one goal in those two games, and we're averaging half a goal per game. So it's it's night and day in addition to the other things that are going on, like the Parker suspension, like the, the Alm injuries. When you're missing that, that person up front who at this point in time is – about as proven as any expansion team's uh, uh, star player can be, without him on the field, it, it really seems to have a trickle-down effect. It really does. And, you know, to put that thought into perspective is something that's been boggling me because we weren't perfect with Klaus. Um, we've been watching some games and kind of I've been re-watching some of those games just to kind of check out what that is. And then we get what we're going to talk about in the wind down. The second half of our podcast version um, is the MLS salaries were released. And I thought, man, come to think of it, most of our salaries are coming from just a few guys. And three which of, isn't which isn't abnormal. No, it's not abnormal it, it, at all. Sorry, we lost you for a second there, Matt. Um, but uh, it's not abnormal at all. And um, but three of those guys, three of the five of our top earners, were out in that game. And then you add in Blom, who's not a small earner on our team. That's a massive amount of money. And so. Part of that is that as a team, we make almost 11, we we spend almost $11 million in total compensation in MLS, and that's second to bottom of the entire league. We were missing, if you add up all the salaries that were absent in the Chicago Fire game, the regular MLS league game, the, the most, the most, the last game that they played, it's $4.1 million of salary missing in one individual game. And so that's Parker making a million, Nilsson making 1.1 million, Klaus 1.23 million, Blome 256,000. But all those guys were out. So, you know, for most of the game, I know Blome came in, but, you know, that is huge. When we're talking about MLS being a league with a salary cap, when we talk about the importance of a DP player, a designated player, that is 
being gone in a game, just one, is huge. But you look at these other guys making you know similar money to our other designated players, including Klaus, our designated player. That is a massive loss against Chicago, and I don't think we can, you know, pass that up in our minds as as being um, you know a main reason that that we're losing and having uh, struggles in, in the in the recent past here. Yeah, left left us speechless right there. Honestly, <laughs> it. It, it is uh, it's a perfect encapsulation of why I think our attack is struggling because so much of our uh, like MLS teams do they they have to stock up on talent in certain positions and they, they leverage a lot of their roster spend in certain ways and the players that we've banked on from those players who have had injuries recently to a couple other players who have yet to round into some consistent form but are being paid high dollars. The, the combination can be pretty disastrous, especially if among those are one of the league leaders in goals, are team captains, you know, those kinds of things. It, it, all, it all just is a snowball effect into what we've been seeing the last couple of games. But the good news, I think, is that of the players you mentioned, against Sporting Kansas City, Parker's back. Mm-hmm. Klaus is hopeful to, to see time. Blome is a, a, a candidate to start. And so you're having these players return and you're, you're getting to that level. You just hope that with everything sporting Kansas city has been doing lately, you hope that you're getting these guys back at a, at a decent enough level to where they're going to be able to contribute to fight off the sporting attack that has really been putting, uh, putting the top teams in the West through the ringer. Yeah. I'm interested to see when they come back and get up to speed, whether it does fix it or not. That's going to be a fun conversation going forward. Uh, one thing yeah. you said, Matt, if you don't mind me indulging one last thing that's been big on and really heavy on my mind is, um, you know, I think I saw on Twitter, like, Oh, making fun of people who say, Oh, this team struggles against the low block or the mid block. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, every team on the planet struggles against a low block. And so they were making fun of him. And I just think that's totally true. Um, and so if we give a team a chance to, to just low block against us, it just made me think about once the United States national team got better, like got to a quality place where we had lots of guys playing in, in Europe. Once we had Pulisic, McKenney, Tyler Adams, you know, we started being able to score goals and beat teams and everybody bunkered against the United States and CONCACAF. And so, you know, we saw them struggle massively and there had to be an adjustment. And I love that you said talent, you know, is the thing that beats a low block. I mean, that's felt so true with the United States uh, men's national team. So, you know, I'm just comparing that to um, what that Twitter thing was versus what we're facing here in St. Louis right now. Getting that talent back might might be the thing that, that breaks the ice there. All right, you're listening to Flyover Footy, and we are on the big 550 KTRS. Matt, we're going to go to some of the more advanced stats. We don't always get to this in the radio segment, so this is a little exciting. Why don't you lead us in with that? Yeah, and it's a, it's still a tale of two teams because you you take these cumulative stats, the and we like to use uh, XG and XGA, XGD, which are expected goals, expected goals against, and expected goals different goal differential, basically saying... Okay, at are you taking high quality shots, high percentage shots? What are the odds that this shot will actually go in? If if there's a guaranteed chance that a shot's going to go in, you're going to have an XG of one, which is almost never going to happen mm-hmm. in the run of play. But all that said, XGY St. Louis sits middle of the pack in the league.
league, 14th in the league. Um, the, the standings and the stats uh, for these are kind of wonky, though, because of the games played. Sporting Kansas City's played two more games in St. Louis, so I like to look at it at a per-game basis, where the XG for St. Louis is about 1.25 per game, and Sporting Kansas City is last in the league with .82 goals per game. Now, they haven't really, like we said in their last few games, even when they're winning, they haven't been lighting the world on fire with goals. They had one great game against Minnesota, but other than that, it's been two goals, one goal. You know, they, they haven't they haven't gotten these massive goal scoring games. So there's still this opportunity where you look at expected goals against on your goals allowed. St. Louis has is, is allowing expected one point three eight goals per game and Sporting Kansas City allows an expected one point three five. Both numbers are higher than each team's respected expected goals, meaning that if you're looking at the the chances allowed versus the chances created, the shots allowed versus created, there's a, a higher probability that we should be losing more of these games and Sporting Kansas City should be losing a whole lot of their games. Hmm. But it all leads, one of my favorite stats is the goal differential minus expected goal differential. Basically saying, how many goals have you scored minus how many goals have you been expected to, or your goal differential now, which we know ours is nine, versus your expected goal differential, taking into account everything we just talked about. Uh, St. Louis is top of the league in this category with 9.6. That's not great because that means that are the the amount of goals we've scored are highly overperforming our expected goals and our goal differential. Sporting Kansas City is negative, so they should be doing a little better yeah. from a from an yeah. analytics perspective. But it's it's minus one point one eight, basically right where they should be. Whereas St. Louis is overperforming, and I think that has played into us regressing back to the mean a little bit in these past few games. So while I still think there's a course correction in getting some of these talent back, like what we've talked about, there's a lot that's been um, th that's having to even out from our incredibly hot start from what has been expected. Yeah, I think that number was 12 last week, so it has gone down yeah. a little bit. Yes, it um, has been going down every single week. I was really interested to hear that uh, stat about Kansas City because they were putting so many shots in, but mm -hmm. they were just such bad shots. And so yeah. I was curious what that stat would be. I'm surprised it's only negative one. That kind of shows how bad they were for a while, actually. They, so they're not scoring goals. Like we talked about, they have yeah. nine goals scored. And in the past three games, they have six goals, right? Three, or yeah, three in Minnesota, two against Seattle, uh, one against LAFC, their past three games. So six goals in their past three games, three goals in their 10 games before that. And the note that I wrote down while I was watching Kansas City highlights is they like to shoot a lot, yeah. even though they're massively low percentage. Like we thought St. Louis put a lot of shots on goal just to try to you know score what we can, a, a battle of attrition type thing. Kansas City gets the ball into their attacking third, and yeah, they they will make some runs. They like their through balls, and we'll talk about the styles in a minute. But man, they will just pepper you with shots, and so our back line is going to see a lot of action. Yeah, that's really interesting. And will they be good though? I mean, I think our guys are pretty good at blocking the ball. Parker, yes. especially, you know, I think he's gonna he's gonna have a heyday, in my opinion. Uh, but I want to hear about the styles. I I don't have anything to add to that, but I do have um, some thoughts on the styles. But I'd like to hear what you have to say first, Matt, if you don't mind. Yeah. So we've talked about how St. Louis is the most direct in their the speed of their attack, and they love to have very few passes per sequence. So nothing's changed from the past few weeks where St. Louis still has the most direct speed to their attack, meaning literal time to move the ball up the field. They're the quickest and their second fewest passes per sequence. New York Red Bull being the first, again, meaning that they don't pass the ball volume wise a lot per possession that they have. Sporting Kansas City is somewhat of the opposite. They're definitely in the opposite quadrant if you're looking at this from a, a graphing perspective. They're 10th in the league in the in direct 
passing. So they're they're among those in the least, tenth in the least, and then they have the most passes per sequence. So while they're you know, time-wise, they're probably middle of the pack when it comes to how quickly it takes to get up the field. They pass the ball a lot. And these are quick yeah. passes from what you've seen. So they're they're going to move the ball around the field a lot. They're going to change it up. But they're going to work the ball through their midfield and through their wings as they try to break through. And so that's going to be key to watch as St. Louis has to be very targeted in their press. Bradley Carnell likes to say that they press the ball and not the man. And so the the idea of getting multiple people to overload a position when Sporting Kansas City is so quick at passing the ball around is going to be an interesting thing to see if we can actually win that battle. If we can win that battle of getting to them and overloading positions before they can make significant ball movements in their upward, uh, the way they're moving the ball upward, I think we're going to have a lot of success. And so that kind of leads into high turnovers so i love this high turnover stat both teams are really good at forcing high turnovers they're fourth and fifth st louis and kansas city respectively in high turnovers forced and both result in a significant number of shots so this is when you're pressing high up the field and you're creating a high turnover meaning you get the ball back in your attacking third you create shots in a, a high volume. Both teams do. So this is going to be one thing to watch as we know what St. Louis usually offers with that. Well, Sporting Kansas City likes to put a significant amount of pressure as well, especially when the ball is in the defensive third of St. Louis in this case. And then yeah. we switch over to looking at the strengths and overall play styles. And so we, we know St. Louis strengths. We've watched them for, for weeks and weeks. Kansas City's strengths rely in a lot of their individual skills so you're talking about their shallowies, you're talking about Johnny Russell, you're talking about Alan Polito, those kind of players who are just now rounding into health and form, they're the, the difference makers. They're great at defending set pieces, which is one of our strengths. They're great at creating chances using through balls, which is one of our weaknesses. So it, it, you see the juxtaposition of things that they're good at versus things that we're not and vice versa. So it could be a battle of in the midfield and in each team's defensive third on who can shut down a our very direct passing and their very quick work through the midfield where they're going to pass the ball a lot and try to create a lot of those through balls once they possess it in the final third kansas city takes a lot of long shots they like to attack down their left they play with a lot of width to their attack and they're going to control the possession in the opposition's half. Like I mentioned, they're going to work the ball up. They're going to get the ball possession in our in their final third, and they're going to try to create those through ball opportunities. St. Louis, meanwhile, we know that they like to attempt a lot of crosses, a lot of long balls. They like to move the ball quickly into the opposition half. And so seeing how effective we can be in beating their, their version of the press and how effective we can be in something we haven't been effective in recent, which is gathering those aerial duels, creating second chances for ourselves and possessing the ball in the midfield when we send the ball up. I think to take it back to a couple of those stats you mentioned, I, I, I zeroed in a few of those. <laughs> Nothing is as crazy as, as what you were able to get up um, for this, Matt. But, um, you know, I'm really surprised that they're still possessing the ball. It's still, um, you know, they're at 83% passing. They're still possessing the ball. This is something they started a while back, and I'm just really surprised at that. The cool, like the interesting thing is, they're not just passing it in the back, right? So I'm interested. Nope. You know, like you said, they play through the midfield. They're fourth and forward zone passes, so they're trying to play forward, but just on the ground, not directly like we like we are. So, yep. you know, that's that's really interesting. Fourth and accurate long balls, and so you mentioned um, that they're really good at intercepting the ball. 
usually a Peter Vermees team is, you know, effort, effort, effort. And so I thought for sure their dual percentage was going to be real high. It's not right now. And I found that very interesting and surprising. But like you said, their interceptions, they're really good at intercepting the ball. I just know that we've been struggling with teams that have a really high dual percentage um, throughout the whole season, not just in the last few weeks. And so I'm interested to watch, is there a difference in um, interceptions versus duels? Are we going to struggle more? Are we going to struggle less? That's something I'm watching for. Uh, But the fact that they possess the ball, so encouraging to me. I'm really curious if they're going to stick to their plan because they've played a lot of games in a row, right? A lot of two, two times a week games going on. L.A., they played a lot of their starters. I'm sure we're going to touch on that, um, if not now, but later. Um, and so are they going to be tired or are they going to change up their strategy? Are they going to do what a lot of other teams have been doing to us, which is going to maybe do that low block and try to counter us? So I'm really curious to see if, if they try that or if they play their game. I just hope they play their game because I think it, it, it plays in our favor if they do. Yeah, and your your point there, they're coming off of midweek match Wednesday. So they played LAFC 9.30 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday. They flew directly to St. Louis after that game. And they've they're, so they've been in St. Louis since they got back. So that that with their first team lineup that went out on Wednesday, I think the the fitness is going to be a factor. But also when you look at what they like to do, we just talked about in the final third, the way they move the ball around, winning tackles, winning duels, Guys like Kyle Hebert, Jabulu Blom, Mickey Perez, those level of players are going to be where we need to stop them, where we shut down those channels, where we shut down the gaps right in the middle of the field. We don't allow through balls that get in between our center backs because that's where they're going to kill us. And so you have Kyle Hebert, who is a league leader in duels and winning duels, needing to step up along with Tim Parker to block everything that passes through them, knowing that uh, we don't know who's going to be left back. We don't know what formation we're going to roll out, whether Mm -hmm. it's three center back, whether it's four back line. The job is going to be daunting to make sure that they're cohesive because switching out to a three center back could be risky in the space that you could be allowing. So all of those things are things that I'm looking for in how we can minimize the impact the sporting has in our uh, defensive third. Yeah, I think we're going to dig into that. We got just enough time to dig into that a little bit uh, before we take a break here. Santiago, any thoughts on keys to the game against Sporting Kansas City, what you expect it to look like? Yeah, so a couple of the things uh, from what Matt mentioned that also caught my attention. Um, the true balls, that the way they are good with that. And also they have a, a lot of uh, passes on most of their sequences. It just makes me think a little bit about the way Seattle played us because they touched the ball from side to side and then mm-hmm. went with long passes and maybe Sporting KC like look at the weaknesses from St. Louis has from that game. Uh, so that's something to to keep an eye on. Um, I think um, Sporting KC may try to use that against City. Good thoughts there. I agree. Um, let's. We got to call it on all of that stuff because I do think we're going to have a lot to say about the formation guesses and, and predictions here. So, uh, Matt, why don't you be the first to kind of... I think we all have a similar idea going on, although perhaps different players. I write mine down in our show notes. So you guys have a, you guys have a sneak peek at what oh, mine is. Oh. <laughs> anyway, let me start it off by saying uh, the two quotes from the press conference that are very pertinent to what formation we might see, knowing that... Uh, that Johnny Nelson is the the key loss being suspended. Bradley Carnell said in the press conference, we feel we have a lineup ready, whether that's the obvious solution, implying Pedro, 
or another solution that remains to be seen. That's mm -hmm. for us internally, but we're going with guys who we feel can win us games right now, who are fit, strong, and healthy, and in good form. Tim Parker later on said, there are definitely options we have that we can plug in at left back to see how we want to manage the game. Right now, I think we're doing the smart move and we're going to be pretty aggressive about it too. So you could uh, fit that into whatever yeah. narrative you want to fit it into right now. I, I am I, I'm more and more along the lines of Pedro doesn't seem like he's Carnell's guy right now. And, and whether it's uh, just talking about keeping needing to keep working with him or the, the alliterations to uh, certain actions on the field and just not seeing the most out of him, um, not, not seeming to like some of the questions about Pedro, hmm. whatever it is, maybe it's just a personal opinion on how I'm interpreting it. But I think we're going to come out with a uh, I I wrote I wrote Pedro in my lineup. But the more I heard about it today, uh, Thursday, the more I really think that we might go with a three center back approach. We might go with wing backs. And so uh, just throwing out a lineup prediction for me, I'm going to say I think our, our three center backs are going to be Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker and Jake Nerwinski. I think that our wing backs on the, the left side are going to be Celio Pompeu and on the right side are going to be Jared Stroud. I could see them both. Mm flip-flopping this also comes from seeing jared stroud against chicago back there i think we'll have jabulu blome and edward leuven in the midfield and then how many does that leave me three more i think we're gonna yeah. have <laughs> isak jensen tomas ostrak and nico Joachini up top okay what, what do you think santiago well i have something a little bit similar also three in the back so but my three in the back are Parker, Barlett, and Hebert. Mm -hmm. Then I have Celio as left wing back, mm. Stroud as right wing back. Ooh. Then I have uh, Blom and Miguel Perez. And then uh, Leuven, Basilev, and Joaquini at top. I see what you did there. So you went very attacking on the wings and then conservative in the middle. I like that with Blom yeah. and Miguel. I just realized I, I spent all this time hyping up Indiana Vasilev and then I left him out of my Come prediction. Come on! <laughs> I noticed that too, yeah. <laughs> See that? I, I, I'm taking that back. I'm not going to I'm not gonna stick to my guns on that. I'm going to realize the error of my ways and I'm going to say Vasilev starting instead of Jensen in my lineup. So uh, some some top form of Vasilev, Ostrak, and Jokini. Maybe a three-man midfield I don't, in some form or fashion. I, the days that I've been right about our lineup, we've been losing. Hmm. So maybe I'm just completely going off the wall as, as <laughs> trying to get anything that works. I don't know. I like it. Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm not going to give the full lineup, but I, I do think, I just want to talk about the back line. If we were to use five in the back and we're up, we're quad, we're tripling down on, on five in the back, three in the back, whatever you want to call it, which means um, we're going with the back four. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All this for not, um, but don't you listen know, to us. I would say conservatively, we'd throw Hebert Parker and um, who else? Uh, Bartlett, of course. I always blank on Bartlett's name. And then I think I would put Pedro in uh, because I think he really shines in a wingback role. And I'd like to see him in there for the attack. But I think conservatively, we throw Norwinsky on the right just to make sure that we're, that we're relatively safe defensively. I think he's done a good job defensively um, for the most part. And then, you know, the rest is can be built however you want. And I don't think, um, I don't think Bradley Carnell is limited in any way in the way he thinks about the, our lineup. So, um, I think he can do anything, but I think if we're down at the end of the game, 
I'm with you, Santiago. We throw on Stroud or Celio or both in the wing back, wing back position and just go crazy. So I'd love to see that and them have some fun with three in the back. Um, one, and thing I, I do, one thing I do want to say real quick is just as a default lineup, so the, the inverse to all this, the, the whatever uh, Carnell referenced as far as the standard or the, the obvious solution would be four in the back with Pedro, Hebert, Parker, Nerwinski, and I probably uh, Blom and Leuven, and then Stroud, uh, Vasilev, Ostrak, and Joachini. That's probably like the obvious version. Yeah. M- minus one or plus or minus one or two guys, but that's that's the normal as far as our off the wall predictions. Well, now you've nailed the lineup, and we're gonna lose. So thanks, Matt. Appreciate that. <laughs> that's it from us. We're a little over. So uh, thank you so much for listening. We will be catching you guys on Monday for the flyover fallout if it if it works out for them to do so after I've promised it. So thank you all for listening. We're Flyover Footy. We're on the big 550 KTRS. See you guys at game day. Go city. everyone to the wind down we've got our beers uh santiago i joked that uh we took our break and you turned around and yelled cc's name and so did she bring you a beer is that what did you demand a beer from cc (laughs) (laughs) no 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 i know you're too nice when when we were recording i thought i heard her coming home because she wasn't here Uh and all of a sudden it was really quiet and I texted her to see if she was here. She didn't answer, so that's what I was looking for her. But um, she was upstairs. She was upstairs, passed out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, as oh, usual, we we often like to start with questions, and we're getting lots of them. I'm, I'm super excited for this, as I am every week. Uh, with the wind down tends to be my favorite part. Um, Carter makes a comment. I don't know if this is in the question section, but I like to read some of these. Um, but in response to a question about Nelson being out from Matt Baker in the press conference, I guess, uh, we're going oh, to be yeah. pretty aggressive about it. Parker said back three, like yeah, we were we, saying, we touched on that one, thankfully. And I, I, th- I think it means more than just Pedro is going to slot in. Honestly, mm-hmm. like being overly aggressive. Now Pedro is an aggressive player. So that, you know, again, you can read that into it as well, but it just seems like Parker is going full on that he thinks it's smart, whatever he's going for. So he's doubling down on that. It's not just uh, players are being told what to do. It seems like people are bought in about whatever plan they're going forward to. Um, there was a Sam Adeneron uh, question from Steve Davies. Um, we've covered that pretty extensively. I think we yeah, can that the, for now. The one thing that I'll say is I did see a comment um, in one of those threads, maybe it's the one you're looking at, where I didn't see it at the time. Somebody asked Santi and I to ask Carnell about Sam Adeneron. And I was thinking about that and I, I kind of, I get it, wanting to know like what was the, what's been the thought the past few weeks on why didn't you bring Sam back? Why did you, to me, the loan itself was just, horrendous timing mm-hmm. like yeah. that's just that it was obviously a move that they had been working towards because it happened at the end of the transfer window and so it was just bad timing to getting it across the finish line to get sam meaningful minutes so he could continue playing continue developing and klaus going down and 
I have a hard time reconciling from an individual development perspective of Sam and a long-term city plan, bringing him back and disrupting that versus the fact that he was on USL's team of the week. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's a short-term um, detriment, I, I guess, to city. But there's no telling how successful Sam would have been coming back into the system immediately where he hasn't had success so far this year versus going into an environment that he is more comfortable in, obviously, and succeeding. Looking back already after a few weeks, it's a successful loan. It was the right choice in that regard. Like you said, bad timing. Um, I did ask, I mean, pretty much the week it happened or the week after and I, I wish I had been more direct. I try not to be like straight up rude and nail the coach down. But you like, did mention it. Yeah, I was yeah, like, hey, yeah. is this weird? All the crosses in and Klaus is, is not there to get them. Is it strange timing? Do you have to come up with a new strategy because Sam was gone? I was like, or, you know, what's what's the plan on next week? And he kind of gave an answer and just brushed right over Sam and Dineron. So, um you know, that's on kind me. of that's on me. All that all that tells me is that no, there's there wasn't ever a plan to recall him from his loan for yeah. the period where Klaus is hurt. Yeah, and I think I think that's a that's a good choice the team is making. Um, Sam needed development. The few minutes he had with City, you could he wasn't uh, the the chances he had, he didn't put them away. Um, so I think he needed he needs that development. And yeah, the team tried different things, and now Klaus is about to be back. So I'm sure they thought about all of that. Like, yeah, we can try to do some different things for a couple of weeks, three weeks, and then he will be back. And maybe if he's going to be out for a longer time, we will maybe look at recalling Sam or doing something else. But I think for the time being, it's the right decision. Well, you kind of touched on it. The last thing, we weren't going to spend time on it, but it has to be said that pretty much everyone's wish list has a true nine or a target nine on it at this point. Every single fan seems to be thinking, yeah, get a striker, get a striker. And I'm not sure that's necessarily true, but we don't really have a true nine on the roster. It would be nice to have one, even if it's at the end of a game kind of thing. Well, I think the fact that we've struggled so mightily without Klaus tells us that we need another a player like Klaus, whether it's a, a player in, in on his rise up and who's developing, or uh, Bobby Firmino, I don't know, yeah. but a player, no. that, <laughs> a player of that caliber, I think we're more likely going to find a player of that caliber of the age and profile of a Tomas Ostrak or an Isak Jensen who is on the rise, out of contract, and can be developed by City as opposed to an established player. Agree. You. U22, baby. <laughs> um, Fill them up, please. Sign those U22s. I know. Use those slots. Yeah, we all agree very much that those slots need to be used. And it's this is this is the right time, and, and that's the right kind of player to look for. Um, ben Krumzig says, uh, what about Ostrak's game makes him look dangerous, lively, more often as a sub? He says he's referring to San Jose and Portland in that regard Hmm. versus when he starts and is invisible for large portions of the game. He's referring to Chicago and Minnesota. I know he's coming on against tired legs as a sub, but I feel like there's more to it. I don't think he's necessarily wrong there. I think Ostrak has spurts and I think it's usually as a sub. Not always. I think he's had his most – it's an astute observation. He's had his most success when he's come on and either faced – those with tired legs or able to provide a change of pace enough that it gives our offense uh, a, a different enough look 
so that it, it takes the defense by surprise or they're they're not used to what they're seeing. It's some form of that. Um, it, it, I, I, I like Tomas Ostrak a whole lot. He's one of my favorite players on the team because of his potential and what we saw with City 2 last year and knowing the style of player that he is. Part of me just thinks it's a symptom of our entire offense right now. And there's no single player who's having market success from Nico Joachini to Sidhu to Isak Jensen, Jared Stroud. Jared Stroud's fallen off a little bit from his offensive production early in the year. You got a lot of guys who are struggling to to find goals, to create chances, to get shots off. And Bradley Carnell talked about some some of those key moments in Chicago with Asalio and Ostrak in that they were getting chances created, but they weren't ever able to have a good enough shots on goal to be threatening. And I think that's where the story is, yeah. is that they're having mm-hmm. moments. They're not, they're not massive moments. They're not double digit uh, shot creations or shot opportunities, but they are creating enough moments that Bradley Carnell views the chance creation as somewhat of a success, but it's the finishing that is clearly the problem. And, you know, I, 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 Struggle to single out Ostrak, but you can't help but say he's among those who are struggling. I think that's dead on. Among those struggling and the finishing seems like the problem. It's not the only problem. You know, again, I'm going to go back to USMNT. A lot of Burhalter's best games were games that we drew or lost uh, as the USA. You know, like the XG was unbelievably high, usually against Mexico or something like that, maybe Costa Rica. Um, and so the XG was incredible. We just couldn't put them away. And so, yes, I think that's true for us to some degree, but we're still not, you know, there's that curve of teams bunkering, bunkering against you and struggling for a while before you figure it out or you get the, the talent in to overcome it. Um, we're still on the low side of that. You know, the XG is just not there. Yes, finishing is problem, but we're not setting them up either you know so um it's it's stuff to watch for going forward looks yeah like, we're yeah. we're four games in a row where we have less than one xg yeah. per game that's not good that's wor- that actually is worrisome in my opinion hey it is because we were saving all of those for saturday you're right we'll see there it is that's what it is there's the answer um <laughs> uh looks like at 42, Daniel Gavura uh, says, do you guys think Klein gets his first appearance on Saturday night? And again, do we go with the back three? <laughs> well, obviously, we think we all go with the back three. Yeah. <laughs> but Klein's interesting, though, because he we will talk about Inside City briefly in a little bit. He was among those training with the first team this week. And so he was there for the Inside City event in the stadium training he was there on Wednesday and Thursday with the, with the team as well. So Carnell has invited him and, and told him to be ready to train. But as far as his availability on Saturday, it was we're looking at where we need gaps plugged type of a thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he sees action, but if if the roster is evaluated and there is an attacking midfielder that need, is needed for depth on the game day roster, Klein is a, a viable candidate. And real quick, uh, the idea of Klein is that because he's with City 2, he can be called up for a short-term four-day loan essentially to play for the weekend and then go back down to City 2 because he's on a City 2 contract. He's not signed to the MLS team. And that is four times that that the team can do that, right? Four times a season, yes. Okay. Awesome. 
All right, the next two questions we're going to use to uh, further our agenda, more or less. We have an outline for today, and you guys ask the right questions for our outline. So Todd um, at Bergie Zero asks, with the MLSPA salaries coming out, do you think there's a plan to increase payroll over the coming years? Or do you think City will try to be the Tampa Bay Rays of MLS well done, <laughs> and maximize value from low money players? Really good reference because I don't think he's yeah. necessarily wrong, but I hope I hope things go up a little bit in values. What do you guys think, though? Let's let's talk about the MLSPA um, to the extent that we want to talk about it today. Yeah, so... I I hate to jump in, but I don't hate to jump in. (laughs) The athletic article kind of summed it up where they looked at uh, how teams are spending on players. So this is not how teams are, are bringing in transfers. This is not taking transfer fees in consideration. So they're looking at the fact that without that in mind, St. Louis doesn't have a true designated player, meaning that we don't have any player making more than the maximum allowed for an individual person to be considered a DP that can't be bought down with TAM. And that amount is about $1.625 million per season. The, uh, the Or $1.651, rather, this year. It, it raises every year. So $1.651, meaning that a, a player max salary is $651,250. And then you can spend up to about a million dollars in TAM to buy them down to fit into that max salary when you're talking about the, the books, right? So Leuven, Klaus, Berkey, Nilsson, all in that category where even Parker, although Parker's salary is half being paid by Houston, but all those players are making enough to where you have to use TAM to buy them down if you weren't taking transfer fees into consideration. So that's why you're seeing St. Louis having listed as zero DPs on places like The Athletic. For the record, if you haven't seen The Athletic article, St. Louis's roster spend right now is $10,933,000. That's second to last in the league, right above CF Montreal. For uh, reference, the highest spending team is uh, Toronto FC with $25,741,000. So a good $15 million higher, although Toronto has two of the higher paid designated players um, with Lorenzo Insigne making, I think, more than the entire roster for St. Louis City at this point. That's crazy. Hey, yeah, it is. quick uh, quick question for you. You know who's last in the East or Eastern Conference? Toronto FC with the mm. highest salary in MLS. Just a little fact How for about you. That? Yeah, so uh, Insignia had a high transfer fee. I'm, I'm mistaken on his uh, individual salary. I think he's earning like around $7.5 million. But Insigne plus Bernadeschi, I think, is where it gets to more than yeah. the entire roster. Hmm. Yeah. So those two. And so so... The question of will St. Louis increase their roster spend? No, <laughs> not no? In the, not in the oh, immediacy, in my opinion. Really? Not in, not in the well, in the sense that we have uh, right now, technically, three open roster slots. Nilsson is on the injured reserve, so he doesn't he, he doesn't have a roster slot that's being filled right now, even though we're paying his salary. Um, the question eventually will be with Lucas Bartlett, whether he's a replacement on the roster and has to move or if he has his own slot. If we assume that Lucas Bartlett has his own slot, and I do have a point here, then we look to St. Louis having one legitimate open roster slot now and then another one with the Max Schneider loan. 
So we're paying Max Schneider, but he's on official loan to City 2, meaning that his slot is open and can be filled. Max Schneider is only making 68000 a league minimum for the supplemental roster that he's he's occupying. So when you're talking about increasing the roster spend in the immediacy for this transfer window, you're talking about signing an additional player that will bump it up. You're not talking about replacing a low-value player or a low-paid player with a high-paid player. That's That's what I mean when I say increasing roster spend. You're talking about bringing in a designated player and replacing a $90,000 a year guy with a multimillionaire player. I don't see us doing that drastic of a switch, especially because a lot of our players are locked into multi-year contracts. And we still haven't, I think, seen a fully healthy St. Louis City roster for multiple games. We've seen variations of a healthy roster without Nilsson. We've seen healthy roster without Klaus. And so we know how both of those can go. I think it's presumptive of all of us to say we need to increase our roster spend before seeing what St. Louis City looks like without all of our highest paid players on the field together. So, Matt, you were saying, so maybe two slots are available, right? That's likely, yeah. I, I, I'm just assuming that Lucas Barton yeah, yeah, has yeah. been signed to a I, separate slot. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, yes. that's, that's a good assumption, but... Remind, Two with Max Schneider loaned. Yeah, but remind me, if the team brings a U22 player or two, can they put them in those two slots or not? Yeah. So here, here's the – this is the thing that's kind of unfortunate is by having two roster slots, technically we have three U22 uh, signings available to us because we have two designated players signed. The way U22s work is if you have three designated players, which is the maximum allowed, and they're all over the age of 23, you don't get U22s. You get uh, you're you're penalized in some of these other younger categories, the young DP, the U22s. But if you have two DPs signed, you have three U22 slots available. If you have two DPs and a young DP, you have three U22 slots available. You have lots of flexibility as long as you don't fill that third DP slot with an over 23 age player. But having only two roster slots available, it's not a scenario of, okay, we say we get three U22s. Does that mean we get an extra actual roster slot to fill it with? No, it doesn't work right. that way. Right, right, right. But, but what I was asking is the two slots that are available, you can put U22s in those two slots, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Got it. And... Uh, very so U22 slots are essentially a roster mechanism that lets you show a player has uh, uh, an impact of like 150 or 200 thousand dollars on the books, but you can pay them much more than that. So you can bring in a player from South America, from Europe, who's 20, 21 years old, you can pay them 600 thousand dollars, but they only reflect 150 thousand dollars of a budget charge on your on your books. I have so many questions and thoughts on this. Um, so I want to read this other thing that someone posted. I mean, we have all read it, right? Um, and so Lu- T- Taylor Twelman said, you know, basically that the fire deserved that win. Perez, we didn't talk mm. about it, but Miggy should have been sent off for a second yellow. I think you, you kind of touched on it, Matt. Sorry. But um, Nelson caught sleeping on the back post. We talked about that pretty extensively. So Taylor Twelman tweets this, and then Lutz quote tweets, Perfectly said, Taylor Twelman, and it simply sums up the whole game. The only thing I would add is the word harmless. 
I mean, gut punch, right? I, I'm feeling it. I'm not even a player. He also, um, quite a tweet. So Abby Stilianu, I don't know her. Is she famous or anything? Anyway, she uh, says... Journalist, right? Isn't she a journalist? I can't click on it the way I'm reading it right now. But she okay. says to Lutz, this is, it doesn't matter. This is a great follow-up. She says, quite a tweet, Lutz. Are you frustrated with the boys or frustrated because you want an EPL move? There's that West Ham rumor. Um, also, what's up with the unfilled third DP and, un, and three unfilled U22 spots, right? And he says, yeah. simply agreed with Taylor because he's spot on on the zero, all caps, zero plans to get a third DP. Santiago, let's, yep. let's go to you on this one. Like, clearly you and I have a favorite, this U22 initiative that's brought up there. What does this mean? And Because this all plays into the question being asked. That's the reason I wanted to, to bring this up at this point. I and I'm biased because I want U22s. I take it that way. No third DP, but there are two U22s coming. That's the way I take it. So that maybe is just Lutz saying, I don't plan on putting a third DP in. He, he, I don't. It's not like he doesn't have permission. He's just saying, I don't have plans for a third DP. I, I, right. I believe in this designated team thing, but he didn't mention there's no plan to do the U22. Right. That's how I yeah. took it as well, Matt. What do you think? I agree. So the fact that we're not signing a third designated player, um, it, it's the thing that gets all the news and all the headlines. But there are plenty of teams who don't have three designated players signed or have a young designated player signed and, and are highly successful. So the, the existence of three DPs on your roster does not implicitly correlate to winning games. That That needs to be understood. The existence of U22 initiative slots has greatly helped MLS teams be competitive while spending more broadly on their roster. So the the idea that The Athletic puts out every year in these salary guides and these salary articles is that the top three, the top five earners on a team um, take up 50, 60, 70% of a roster. The Chicago Fire, the most egregious. They have Shakiri among others, who's the highest paid player, where their top three earners are 57% of their overall team salary. Their top five earners are 70% of their overall team salary. U22s are a way to get around this, to spread the wealth, because you're spending more, but you're having to, um, you're having less of a hit on the salary cap. That's It's vastly important that you leverage these slots if you want to spread the talent pool on your team. So one of the things that we talked about are guys like Tomas Ostrak and Isak Jensen. So there's an argument to be made now that we see the salaries that Tomas Ostrak could be considered a young DP. There's an argument to be made that uh, Isak Jensen could be a U22 initiative type player. So that those kinds of, of clarifications are helpful, although MLS is not very forthcoming with that. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm staring at their their guaranteed salaries of Tomas Ostrak is guaranteed eight hundred and one thousand dollars per year. Isak Jensen, and he's twenty three years old now. He turned twenty three earlier this year. Mm. Isak Jensen, nineteen, just turned nineteen, is guaranteed two hundred twenty eight thousand two hundred fifty dollars. These are both above thresholds of the the maximum guaranteed for a player the maximum salary for a player and what you have to report for a u22 signing so it's not i think 
out of the realm of possibility that we do have some of those players on the roster if we're trying to maximize positions. But what I will say is if, if that's the case, it limits who else we could sign. Right, but does it make sense for Jensen to be a U22 initiative when you only, in terms of budget, the charge is only 200, it's 2,000, it's 200,000 and he's making, what you said, yeah. 230, 232 or something Two, like that? 228, yeah. 228. The charge for his age would be 150,000. So the, it's, it's tough to answer that question because there's two parts to it to me. It's never <laughs> yeah. easy with me. <laughs> the way that our roster is constructed now, yes, it makes sense because we have nobody else that can really take advantage of it. So you're saving money just by the existence or by nobody else being qualifying for it. But it limits what we can do in the future. So we have, we talked about, we have two roster slots available, essentially the Max Schneider slot and just the open slot. We have three of it, three possible U22 initiative slots. So if Jensen uh, occupies one, we still have potentially two U22 slots for those other two open slots. So it could make sense in that regard. Yeah. Um, but it, when you, when you take up all of those so quickly and you're not being very, like you have to be Jensen too, like, let's be clear. Jensen is signed to like some crazy, like five or six year deal. His mm -hmm. contract goes until 2027. So it's not, it, that's very much not out of the realm of possibility for him to be on a U22 deal if his salary were to not be completely averaged out. So if he has a higher salary each year. And, and that's one slot. So that's an, a possibility. We don't have any confirmation that that's the case. I would uh, now seeing these these numbers for the for the salary guide. I am very curious if Jensen occupies the U twenty two slot, and I'm very curious if Ostrock occupies a young DP or maybe even a U twenty two because he was twenty two years old when we signed him. Yeah. So yeah, all of those are good things to uh, look at and think about. And yeah, maybe Jensen uh, with the ORGRs, his salary is higher, but you also mentioned that if he is a, a U22 player, that limits your option. And, and that's my point. And that's every time you guys or anybody says, oh, bring Firmino. That's why I, that's why I always say no. Mm -hmm. If you're going to spend a bunch of money, spend it on a young player and you get the advantage of that low budget charge. That's what you should use those U22 slots. Um, one thing to also keep in, in consideration, I just, I had some weird facial expressions on the stream just now. And the reason is because I'm looking at, I have this spreadsheet that has all the players, their ages, their, their salaries. And I came across Nico Jokini and Indiana Vasilev, who you might be thinking, well, they're 22 years old each and they're making 400,000 and 281 respectively. Why wouldn't they classify as this? We already made that mistake. Yeah. Well, yeah, to be signed to a U22 deal, it has to be your first MLS contract. Right. But I remember we, we assumed that Nico, yes. when we were looking at the potential for, yeah. for the draft, we thought, oh, Nico would be a great deal because he would be a U22 player. But then we found out that it doesn't work that way. And we actually, there was a report that Nico was on a U22 deal with Orlando that was eventually uh, debunked. Mm -hmm. That, that at one point came out, which would have been awesome for us. <laughs> so um, not to belittle all of that, because I do think our more astute listeners love that. I love it personally. Um, and I think it's important once we do sign someone else, 
which I'll get to in a second. But it's all a bit moot because I do think in the end, <laughs> in the end, it's a bit moot because I think what you just illustrated, Matt, is that there is so much flexibility on this roster that if we want to do almost anything, even sign Roberto Firmino, we can we can make it work. We can push the money around. We can make room where it's needed. We have so many options to put different players in different spots to open up whatever slot we need that fits our budget the best way to bring anyone in. And I think Lutz has that freedom. I think what we haven't mentioned yet is does Lutz have like a budget? Like he can't spend a certain yeah. amount is, is Carolyn Kindle or the board saying no to something. And I don't think if they are, I don't think it's something to worry about. I think we've got enough flexibility to sign whoever we need. And I think we all very much respect um, Lutz's eye for talent. And so I just, I look very much look forward to who's next, right? Even we could go up to maybe two players. uh, And I do think we have those two slots open, um, two player slots, whatever they may be open to figure that out. And I think they're coming. Uh, I'm really excited to see what it is. And, And lastly, I'm biased that I think it should be. Um, and, quite possibly will be a U22 initiative player, you know, and, and I think it'll perhaps be a, an attacker, uh, perhaps a right back. And so I'm, I'm just really excited for that. But, you know, all this, I loved those tweets because there's just a lot of like really raw emotion mm. and raw conversation. No one's trying to hide anything. I think that's rare in, in MLS and world soccer. So that was really nice for me to see. I enjoyed it. One thing I'll add, because I don't know how deep we're going to go into the salary discussion, and we went pretty deep already. Um, on the on the subject of players that we might be signing or what kind of flexibility we have, I think this is pertinent. Whether you look at GAM, TAM, or the overall salary cap, these buckets of money that exist to sign players, we have one or two roster slots open right now, and we've talked about the U22 signings, where if you – no matter how much you pay a player, they hit the books at one hundred fifty or $200,000. When you look at the buckets of money of TAM, GAM, and the salary cap, my estimates put us at having about $1.17 million between those three buckets available. Oh, really? So make of that what you will because, to your point, Phil, huh. a lot of it is flexible in what you do with it. And so – I'm getting that from keeping track of all of our GAM trades that we've done in, the, oh, in those early yeah. days. I'm keeping track of what you have to do with some of these players in order to buy their their non-DP salaries down. Guys like Tomas Ostrak, Joachim Nilsson, Roman Berkey. You have to use TAM on those players. Mm-hmm. And so you have to also use GAM on some other players as far as uh, just needing to buy them down to a certain level or how much they cost to get in trades or or how much we still owe some other teams. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that already historically have happened with St. Louis City that I'm trying to keep track of and I've got that number, but the buckets of of money those numbers go into, it almost that's the unknown because MLS is not forthcoming with how much money, how much TAM you apply to a player, how much GAM or how much uh, just of their salary is just straight to the salary cap. Mm-hmm. None of that is transparent. All of that is a guess. So best guess is I'm looking at numbers in the buckets, but the cumulative bucket from all three of these is about 1.17 million. Yeah. Like again, 
the flexibility is there. And that's what the club keeps saying. I, I didn't say that, but the club keeps saying yeah. we have flexibility. We keep these roster spots open. Lots of games saved up international yep. slots, all that stuff. So two, two international slots also with Max Schneider being loaned down. There you go. Okay. We have a lot to cover. Oh, let's, let's read Joseph Iliff's comment so we can talk about this very shortly. Uh, did the fan quote, meet the team event this week, pump the team up for Saturday's uh, Saturday night's match. It would be great to see the team start the match with some excitement and energy. Agree. That was a cool Agreed. event. Yeah. And you know, I, I took my family, my wife and my two girls came with me and had a blast. It was the first time that my six-year-old really showed an interest in meeting the players and seeing what they were doing, getting up close and personal. We talked before we started the show that um, my six-year-old ended up like initiating going down and getting autographs from some of the players. Guys like Tomas Ostrak, Isak Jensen, Nerwinski, Nelson, uh, Aziel, ja- Aziel Jackson, and uh, Keel Watts. All I've got pictures of them. Those are memories that my kid initiated and wanted to go do. First time she's ever shown a propensity to that. So from that perspective, that's like a microcosm of what we saw the entire time. How many kids went down and are now lifelong, just unabashed fans of City based on that experience they were able to have? Meeting the players, getting pictures, signing autographs, just being down by the field. It's such an incredible opportunity that City offered, and it is... Uh, reassuring to me that the comment Carnell said is that him, the coaching staff and the players were humbled by the experience, knowing that they have a, a stewardship of the club now to the players and to the community and, and to have that opportunity to go into the community and invite them in and knowing that people took time off work, people pulled kids out of school and all for the club. Like that was really the big thing for them. So I have no doubt that that is something they can take and build off of going into this rivalry match. Santiago, yeah. you were there with uh, STL Santos on your birthday. Happy birthday again, buddy. Yeah, thank <laughs> you, thank you. Yeah, so the excuse is the team just put together all of this together to celebrate my birthday. That's the <laughs> way I like nice, to, yeah. to think about it, but I know that's not true. Uh, but no, it was, a, it was a great event. Yeah, I, I went with my wife, and uh, we were there with some... Uh, our friends from LTL, STL Santos, and uh, it was a great event. It was great to see uh, like the players enjoying the event, taking pictures, signing autographs. I think if it was up to them, they would have stayed there the whole night and signed autographs for everybody. But yeah. they were also on a schedule, uh, so because yeah, I stayed until the end, and and uh, there were a couple of instances where people were calling players and they were like okay i'm i'm going and then they were like no 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 you have to <laughs> you have to go to uh to this other uh event um that was uh, more exclusive and it was only for for some of the fans but uh it was great to see the energy and um yeah Bradley Carnell said that it was humbling and yeah it's great to see that energy with the team with the fans the players uh, and the kids like yeah. the kids uh, it was, for to me it was great to see like the kids faces like when they get an autograph or when they get a high five they get so excited so that's a priceless priceless moments for for the kids that they will be in a few years they will be buying season tickets and mm-hmm. going to games supporting the team so that's also great to see I've seen so many kids go to that stadium for the first time and the look on their faces. It's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. I took my two oldest boys to this event and you know, the same thing, my, my son, my oldest son, especially Matt was like at look, looking for autographs the entire time. 
He yeah. wore his jersey for them to sign. He took it off the entire time and held the marker out. You know what I mean? I mean oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was one of those shirtless, uh, you know, nine-year-olds down there screaming Berkey's name and Klaus's name. Um, it was so much fun to see. Um, uh, for next year, if you um, – a little adult thing that was awesome – is it was so easy to get whatever food you aren't able to easily get yes. on game day. I tried three different places, <laughs> so um, it was amazing. Uh, I got a curry patty, which is like a, uh, a pie, a meat pie in a way. It's one cool. of the best things I've had there. So go to the Caribbean thing that's around the corner from the Vietnamese thing. So yeah, <laughs> and the Vietnamese bowl. Yeah, the Vietnamese bowl over near the Lufu's entrance was fantastic. My yeah. wife had that. I was able to get the brisket mac from Farm Truck for the first time because that's in the area over by City Goods, and that's a zoo during game day. I've yes. never, I've never waited over there since the Leverkusen game. And talked, I was, that was the right choice for sure. To yeah, there, it was so good, <laughs> so good. Um, we're over on time, but we're gonna keep plowing through. Um, this one kind of ties in. I wanted to read the fun fact that you type this is Matt's work here. I'm not, I'm stealing your work here, Matt. Um, I just want to make it clear. City oh. SC's first homegrown signing 16 year old Caden Glover made his MLS debut. And uh, Tom Timmerman tweeted this out first. I believe Glover became the first player born in 2007 to make his MLS debut. And I guess yep. Glover was surprised. He was shocked that he was put in. Um, I was a bit surprised as well, but a, a welcome surprise. I thought that was really cool. That was one of those, uh, before the game, I tweeted out like three bold predictions. And that was one of my bold predictions that I was just well hoping done. to see come true. And it was it was great to see for a lot of different reasons. Um, the, the historic nature of it, uh, great, uh, almost a reward for the hard work that we know he's put in because Carnell's spoken a lot about not just giving opportunities to people, but if a player plays, it's because they've earned it. And so it was just great to see him uh, in that position and he's still practicing with the team this week and that so you have that historic moment behind you now and you're able to move forward and in, in a little more low-key role but that was just awesome to see in addition we can throw this in with Caden glover news cities u16 and u17 teams both qualified for mls next cup which is yes. a big deal that's like something we want our teams in every single year if we can the first year our academy existed, our U16s, I believe, uh, went to the semifinals of MLS Next Cup. It is um, the highest youth competition. Well, I guess it's the highest youth competition that exists now in the U.S. Because I MLS say Next. This and the GA Cup are like the two big ones in the United States for youth players. Yes, yes. And so uh, this one is in June. So they'll qualify. They'll go and compete with the best teams in the country in their age groups. And they'll have playoffs. They'll have showcases. It's an awesome opportunity for the kids in the academy to continue to have eyes on them, to continue to get high-level experience. So our U16s, U17s, just hats off to them for a great performance in MLS Next Flex, the tournament that just occurred last weekend. And we get to see more of them next month. And then those games, too, will be on um, MLS Season Pass on Apple TV+. Plus. I have yet to see a St. Louis game on there, mm. though. I know. They've, streamed, they've streamed a handful of these tournaments. I have yet to uh, see St. Louis make it. We've been on like YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Right. I, this is going to be it, guys. I'm calling it now. We will get a game in MLS Next Cup. We better. Uh, that was awesome. going to be my one question was like, will we finally be on, on TV, our youth team? I, I'm hoping it's happening as well. Hoping it will. I'm glad you That'd be great it. to see. Yeah. 
We need to make it out to games. I it, I still haven't been to a city game this city two game this year, which is terrible. But that's when my family gets together, so it's hard. But uh, man, um, I want to go check out these kids, and so hopefully we. You know, city city two games. Uh, if nobody's been, they're really low key. Like yeah. they're a great opportunity to get in the stadium. They only open the lower bowl on the east side. It is it is a very low key, enjoyable environment. Great for families. Fantastic for families. My girls absolutely love going, and they have freedom to to run around a little bit, to just sit where they want in an aisle in a row, and it's it's great to be that close and watching the the players kind of like we did last year, where we were close to the action. We're even closer now, and you can see some some true talent starting to bubble up in this team. Whether it's Johnny Klein or Caden Glover, uh, there there are there are spots here and there where you can really see some guys. Michael Wenzel has been fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a lot of guys that are enjoyable to see, and especially this weekend. This weekend's, I think, a good jumping on opportunity for City Two because it is the back half of the rivalry game. We play Sporting Kansas City Two on Sunday, so get out if you haven't yet. Agree. Well said. That's your, that's your chance, Phil. Sunday. Yeah. I'll, I I hope I can make it. Um, one last thing of news quickly: San Diego to MLS. Why am I so mm. underwhelmed by this? <laughs> it's been it's been hard for me as a USL fan uh, to see you know San Diego San Diego Loyal, which is one of the coolest clubs in the country, especially in the lower leagues, uh, seemingly get passed over. Which Landon which, Donovan's team. Yeah, it feels you know. I know. <laughs> feels bad in a way and, and matt you mentioned the uh the culture you know the obvious culture weirdness going on from the beginning right yeah the i mean there's there's a few layers to it obviously there have been san diego vegas being the two front runners stimulus expansion it seems whether vegas bowed out because of the funding or the stadium that would have been required to be built or the baseball team moving in where oakland a's are uh, relocating and then the loyal exist you would have hoped that there would have been some some promotion type of a thing where they buy in or they're able to get in um but also it harkens back for san diego to a few years ago if you remember there was a public vote in san diego between money going to a soccer specific stadium or money going to the school system um, i have a my wife's uncle lives in san diego so i was talking to him this weekend and at the time, everything went to the school system, but the stadium that they built as a result, and so now the school system owns the land, Snapdragon Stadium. They built the stadium, uh, which is a multi-purpose built stadium for football and soccer and some of the other sports, lacrosse and rugby and stuff like that. But it, it has the dimensions for soccer, so it, it's not a soccer-specific stadium, but it was purpose-built. So I have to give them a little credit that they lost out on the vote from the public at the time, but they were still, I think, always a piece of the puzzle there. The thing that really bothers me, though, is the ownership for this. Yeah. In that it's a it's a foreign owner, so there's no, well, there's no majority local, which we're spoiled here in St. Louis. Let's not ever take that for granted. Yeah. Like whoever's listening to this, do not take your local ownership for granted. The the ownership here is foreign. It is the, the the chairman of finance for the UK Conservative Party, apparently. Hmm. And it's just 
I'm not saying like anything about the money. It's just like, you know, foreign investment. And the, it's, it seemed to rub me weird and I'm not local by any means, but there was the mine, the minority investor they announced is the local native American tribe in the area who've been there for thousands of years and they're on board to be that local component to it. Maybe it's just the fact that I, this seems abnormal or, or the first of its kind for MLS where you're getting this kind of indigenous population involvement in this. So maybe it's a great thing. Uh, it's just a different thing to me. And now you have like Manny Machado from the Padres being a part I of it. I saw that, yeah. That seemed like a publicity stunt more than anything to me. Like we've seen with Kansas City in Patrick Mahomes, more of a publicity stunt than uh, he'll have a say in roster spend or something like that. Um, but end of the day, I do think that MLS wanted a 30th team before the 26th World Cup. And San Diego offered them a stadium that was already built, who was hosting Gold Cup uh, championship games True. this year. Yeah. And they have this ownership that's willing to spend $500 million <laughs> to, to buy a team in this league. So you had those two pieces, and you're able to get a team starting in 25, meaning by the time the 26 World Cup comes around, MLS will be able to tout we're a 30-team league. That, that says it all. Do you think this 30-team league will still have two conferences mm. or will it go three conferences? Will there be a flyover conference? <laughs> we need one, don't hey, we? We, trade, we? We have the trademark for flyovers. So That's right. To yeah, to don't us, try right? to use it. Cease and yeah. desist. Stay back, MLS. <laughs> I, I think over. we'll still have... I think we'll still have two two conferences at this point. Um, I've always something. wanted a central conference in the USL, and it's just like for travel, it's awesome. Like it's I'm glad so much better. We're clearly going to get pushed to the east, and that's going to be a blessing. But like, I would love. Well, this will keep us in the central. west right now because this will even it out fifteen fifteen. So yeah. this will. Oh, this sorry. one will yeah, keep us right. in the west. But other teams that may be coming in, like we know Phoenix, Phoenix and, Vegas and Vegas and Sacramento, yeah. they're all still on the table as possibilities. Sacramento just needs. Uh, a billionaire owner to step in who doesn't have cold feet. That's all they need, really. So there are opportunities for St. Louis to get bumped out to the east <laughs> in the years to come because MLS it's they've already happen. they've already said that they're they they haven't explicitly said they're going past thirty, but it's one of those like they they drop hints, they drop nuggets. They never say exactly thirty two. They never say we are we are firmly done. We're never expanding. They always leave a slight crack open. As the years go by, they open the door just a little further, and then they get more teams. If they wait long enough, they might get a billion-dollar entry fee. What do you think? Can you imagine that? No. <laughs> Crazy. Indi Indianapolis seems to be throwing money around to, to get high-level soccer there. You never know. It's true. That, they've got a crazy good development going on there downtown. Tons of good cities that could, that could pop in there. And all my USL favorites. Uh, but we won't talk cool. anymore about that. Oh, go ahead. Except for who wouldn't want Detroit to get MLS because, oh, man, they're passionate fans. <laughs> I can it. think of more than a few people that would not <laughs> want that to happen. And probably the Northern Guard themselves would throw a fit. Right. <laughs> that would be part of the fun, though. Well, I think we should close the uh, show out. Uh, we probably should have opened the show, to be honest with you, with this. But I think today is Carolyn Betts's. Or sorry. Oh, oh, oh I got it wrong. I knew I'd do that. Carolyn Kendall's birthday is today. I think Restart I that sentence. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. It doesn't matter. But the important thing is I think we are all infinitely thankful that we got Carolyn Kendall as our owner. Um, and so 
She's not listening, but who cares? Out into the ether. Thank you so much for everything you've done for St. Louis and for St. Louis soccer and St. Louis City SC. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, so lucky. Like she, she's the 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 person from the Taylor family who stepped forward and ran the show and figured it all out. She didn't have a soccer background. She didn't have any experience in sports. She's a she's a St. Louis person, St. Louis family through and through, philanthropic to no end. She'll she says it on every interview, every documentary that they were looking for their next thing to to reinvigorate, to revitalize St. Louis, and and this is where. People said you need to focus your efforts this is where people said you need to put your money towards. And we now have the ability to go to the world-class stadium, to see world-class players, to discuss like we do on a, a twice a week basis. Now, the thing that we're most passionate about uh, at the highest levels in our country, all because of that. So well said, Phil. And I think everything that her and the family, the Taylor family and the Kavanaugh's have done have set us up like we said with inside city to for generations to come to carry this carry this on so happy birthday carolyn and thank you so much yeah we're very grateful for all the work carolyn and the family have done for st louis and to bring this team here and actually that's one of the reasons why i don't think there is like a restriction on loose on loots investing like in another player because when they take on a project they always want to do it like the best way possible and i think their vision down the road is to make this team a a team that will be up there winning championships so i don't see any budgeting restrictions you know uh city has put out a documentary real quick this will take like 20 seconds they put out a a documentary on youtube it's four parts now they just released the fourth part today on thursday as we're recording this and it is about uh one of the the I forget his name now, but the, like one of the top soccer journalists in the country, in the world who came before the Leverkusen game, he talked to players, he talked to coaches, mm. he talked to staff and he did a, like it ended up being an hour documentary, three parters. They released one today. There's a story in there about Carolyn finding loots and she was recommended to talk to him. They talked for 30 minutes and she knew he was the guy. Wow. I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, it was the first time I had ever heard in, in, any kind of details about how they connected and what that conversation was like. And she's like, yeah, it was more like Lutz talking for 25 minutes and then me being like, okay, yeah, when you, when you start type of thing. Wow. Sign here. Yeah, so I, I agree with you in that sense that he, if he feels strongly about something and knows it's better for St. Louis, because that's, that's what it's all about. It's all about St. Louis. If this is going to be better for St. Louis, not just St. Louis City Soccer Team, St. Louis City Soccer Club, this is better for St. Louis long term. This is the the vision and picture, and this is how it's going to help everything in St. Louis and fans, community. She's going to be behind it. Agree. Again. Yeah. So. Thank you. Um, closing out, we got flyover fallout on Monday. I think, right, boys? Yep. I've yeah, promised it three times now, so I think you're locked in. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be. We're gonna figure it out, but uh, I'm gonna be out of town. But my. Matt and I will, will make it work for sure. I really you were out of town last it. week and it worked out perfectly. Or this week. More yeah, than once. Yeah, yeah, but this one is like this this out of town trip has like a lot of things to schedule. Um, but we'll make it work. <laughs> and hopefully we'll have good news. Hopefully we'll That's we'll right. be celebrating. Oh, that'll be that'll be great to have a show to talk about 
a victory, hopefully a lot of goals. Maybe mm. we'll see Klaus come back and score his goal. Like, hopefully great things to talk about. Here's hoping. Uh, lastly, one more plug before we go. Uh, we saw that a lot of people, we asked last week if you guys could leave us a review. It just helps if subscribe in all those places on the podcast, uh, Spotify, YouTube, whatever. If you're able to, we'd really sincerely appreciate it. It helps us out. Um, and if you can leave a review, um, please do. And we love feedback, guys. So DM us, talk to us, ask questions. We appreciate everything you guys do. We wouldn't be here without you. So uh, thank you again. We'll chat with you guys very soon. Bye-bye. Adios.